You know, I've, uh, I've thought a lot about what I should say today over the past few weeks. What could I leave you with as an encouragement as I stand today for the last time as a senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Irving? And over and over again, I felt like the Lord was just leading me to continue what we've done every Sunday for the past five years, almost to the day for five years, that we would continue to sit on the Word of God, and we would allow God to speak today. We, as a people, do not stand on the words of men. We don't find encouragement only from the words of men. What we need today is what we need every other day. Every other Sunday, we need the word of God. We need to hear God speak today. And as God would have it, in our study of the book of Matthew, I believe that God has led us to the exact right word for this moment to nourish us and sustain us as his people. So we're going to continue in our study of the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter 18 today. And I can't think of better words to encourage you with today, better words to sustain all of us than the words that Matthew writes for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's the central question that Matthew is calling us to consider as the people of God. Who is great in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? What is true greatness, godly greatness, look like. And I think in the kingdom of God, greatness is often evaluated, almost always evaluated on the basis of faithfulness, faithfulness to the things of God, to walk in light of what God values. And this is what we must always strive for as God's people, to learn what God values and to seek to walk in it, to pursue faithfulness according to God's standard. This is what God has called us to. In our text this morning, we once again see the shortcomings of the disciples. Always an encouragement to me as I think of my own shortcomings. Their lack of understanding of what it is that God was going to accomplish in Christ. They've still not fully grasped what Jesus has come to do and build in his kingdom. And they are setting their hope in something that God has not promised. And it's revealed in the way they approach Jesus in our text. But Jesus being a gracious, good teacher, as he is so often do- does in this gospel, he's so often done in this gospel, he offers his disciples a gentle correction to say to them what they should expect and what they should pursue. Jesus clearly teaches them what it looks like to be considered great in his kingdom, for Jesus to call you great. And that's certainly what our heart's desire is. The great, according to Jesus, in God's kingdom are the humble, servants who lead people to faithfulness and away from danger. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you be a humble servant who lead people to faithfulness and away from danger. This is what Jesus wants his disciples then to give their lives to and what he is still calling us as God's people to give our lives to today. Let's look together. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to read the first 14 verses. 
Here's what the word of God says. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, the child, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the other ninety-nine that never went astray? So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So the disciples of Jesus come to him with a question, a question that's misguided at best. They know that Jesus is building an incredible kingdom, a great kingdom, and they want to know who is going to be considered great in this great kingdom. And in Mark's parallel account, Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37, we see them arguing among themselves as to who will be the greatest disciple in this great kingdom. Who's the greatest among them that have been chosen and called out by God in this great kingdom? And in their question, they reveal their hope. They, they reveal what they truly desire, what's in their hearts. They want traditional power. They want earthly power. They want to have the upper hand on all of those who have oppressed them, who have beaten them down, so that they in turn can now be the oppressors of those who have oppressed them. They want to be given authority to exert authority and make themselves great in the eyes of the world. Now, that's our, our natural, normal mindset as human beings, right? I don't think any of us can look down upon these disciples because we approach life in much the same way. And it starts at an early age. I see this all the time in my household. My son wants to boss around my daughter. My daughter wants to boss around our dog. Our older dog wants to boss around our younger dog. Sorry, Baxter, you're at the end of the line. But that's what we want. We want to find someone that we can be considered greater than to exert authority over them to get what we want. To satisfy our desires. But is that what Jesus wants in his kingdom? 
Does he want us to be successful, beautiful, comfortable, in control according to the world's standards? Does he want to give us power so that we in turn can oppress and break down our brothers and sisters who are around us to exalt ourselves rather than serve? No. That's not why Jesus came, and that's not what he has called us to. Greatness in the kingdom of God, greatness in Jesus' kingdom looks different. We cannot afford to judge greatness by earthly standards because we do not serve that standard. Those standards have been influenced by brokenness. Those standards have been influenced by sin. The kingdom of this world reflects a standard that pits us against one another for the sake of our own glory. And Jesus wants to offer something different. In Christ's kingdom, greatness is countercultural. Greatness is supernaturally understood. He desires a humble people who lead others to faithfulness and away from danger, away from unfaithfulness. He seeks people to empty themselves, taking on the form of a servant to serve those who have great need. Let's, let's look for a moment how Jesus communicates what greatness looks like in this kingdom by breaking down that main idea statement that I gave you. Firstly, truly great people in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, are humble people. We see this in verses 3 to 6. When the disciples asked Jesus who is the greatest in his kingdom, Jesus brings them a child. There must have been a crowd around them as they're having this conversation, and there's a little child somewhere under the age of 10, perhaps. And Jesus calls this child to himself and says, the one who is like this child is great in my kingdom. Now think about how revolutionary that was to hear for the disciples who were thinking in terms of earthly power. This is a shocking statement. Children in this day were not held in high esteem. They couldn't offer much. They couldn't work. They couldn't provide. They were weak and powerless. Every single thing that human beings, men, women, relied on to get ahead in life, children did not have. They didn't have the strength of intellect, and they surely didn't have the strength of their stature. And Jesus says, in order to be great, you must be like them. Children need help. Despite what they say, despite what they want to do on their own, children need help. There are certain things, no matter how hard they try, they cannot do. And they have to realize that in order to get it done. My kids need the help of their parents. That's why God's given them to me. There are times when they need their father. In order to be great friends, we must have the humility to recognize what we cannot do. That we are children consistently in need and that we need our father to do for us what only he can. The greatest in God's kingdom is not the one who tries to accomplish things in his own strength by the sheer force of his own will. The greatest is the one who recognizes that it is only through God's strength that anything of eternal significance can take place. With that kind of humble mindset, we see a transformation take place where our glory is not our concern, but rather the glory of God. We have an accurate view because of the work of Christ who, of who we are and who God is and why we need him. We got to be humble like children to be great in the kingdom of God.
And then Jesus says, the second thing, truly great people are people who lead others into faithfulness. To lead others in humble dependence upon this Father God who has loved them and sent his Son. And we see this as verses 5 to 9. What Jesus offers here in verses 5 to 9 are some strong words. Let's read them again. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone, a big old rock, tied around his neck and thrown into the depths of the sea and drowned. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. It is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptations come. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, in this section, the children analogy kind of takes a turn. Jesus is not only referring to the disciples as children, the, the disciples he's directly addressing, but now he wants these disciples to think of themselves as leaders of children in the kingdom. They got to think of themselves in a childlike way in one aspect, but they also got to recognize that as leaders in the kingdom, they are responsible to the other disciples around them, converts that will come as parents to children. Those who are weaker in the faith will look to them who are stronger in the faith, and they have a responsibility to them. So you got to have a, a posture of being a child. you got to be humble, and you got to be trusting, but you also got to recognize that we have a responsibility to each other. As those around us are looking to us, especially those in leadership positions, to figure out what it looks like to be faithful in the kingdom of God. He says to the disciples, you need to receive these children, those who are weaker in the faith, those who are coming in the kingdom, and you need to teach them in a way that helps them understand what it means to be great in the kingdom, what it means to be humbly reliant upon the, on this Father God seeking his glory. You need to, by your words and your actions, make sure you know what is great in my kingdom to lead them into greater faithfulness. And by the way, the conversation you're having right now is not going to help you do that. Because if you're just seeking your own glory, if you're just seeking your own greatness, not only will you be led astray, but you will lead others astray as well. Don't reinforce apostles, the wisdom of this world. Don't reject children for the sake of being powerful. Because if you're only concerned about your greatness, there will be some that come to you that you won't think are significant or worth your time, and you're going to reject them and not give the attention that they deserve and need in my kingdom. Don't lead the people of God to rely on old methods of pleasing God that pull people away from God. Rather, lead them into faithfulness. Lead them into Christ's likeness, because if you don't, judgment awaits. And, and hear the judgment here. It's strong. It would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large stone around your neck and drowned than to be in a position of influence in the kingdom of God and lead someone astray. Think about what he says here. The woes. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, verse 7, for it is necessary that temptations come. But listen to the end of this. Woe to the one by whom 
the temptation comes. Now listen, ultimately, who's the author of all temptation and sin? The enemy. But did you know the enemy uses good people? People are not the enemy, but the enemy uses people. And we got to be careful that we're not instruments of the enemy leading people astray, that we are trying, striving in blamelessness to lead people into greater faithfulness. And it's especially true of those who have been given leadership in the kingdom. And here's how important it is. If a leader or someone of influence in the congregation, in the people of God, fails to do this, and they become a stumbling block, then we're instructed as the body to cut them off. If you look at verse 8, a lot of times, verses 8 and 9 are applied to individuals. So like in your own life, personally, if you have some things that cause you to stumble, if your eye causes you to stumble, if your hand causes you to stumble, you should cut them off. Now obviously, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. Don't get your knives out, okay? Don't start cutting off body parts. He's exaggerating the point here so that we understand how serious this is. If you take sin seriously and you take purity of the kingdom of God seriously, you're going to try to remove anything that causes someone to stumble. And there's a sense in which that is true personally. If you know places in your life where you are tempted, where you are vulnerable to temptation, you should do everything you can to get away from those things. But the larger concern is not just for your own soul, but how it influences others in the community of faith, in the kingdom. And the language here is corporate. If there's someone in the kingdom of God, if there's someone in the church as a kingdom outpost that is becoming a vehicle of temptation, of leading people astray, as the church, you're to cut them off. You're to cut them out. If there's no repentance, and we see that later in Matthew chapter 18. Because our goal should be to encourage each other toward faithfulness. That's what's great in the kingdom of God. And finally, not only are truly great people humble, leading people toward faithfulness, truly great people are people who lead others away from danger. This is verses 10 to 14. Now, this is kind of a continuation of the last. In the, in the kingdom, those who are great will recognize their own responsibility to be blameless and lead others to faithfulness, but they'll also recognize their responsibility to their brothers and their sisters who begin to wander away from the faith. The great recognize their responsibility, set the example, but also to run after the sheep who are running away from the flock. Not only are we concerned about not causing people to stumble, we're also called to make sure that our brothers and sisters don't cause themselves to stumble. That we will go after anyone, anyone who is a part of our family who begins to walk away because of the love that God has for them and the love that we should have for them. No one is so insignificant that they are not worth pursuing. Every single person that God loves, every single person in the kingdom, every single person in this church is worthy of our pursuits, worthy of our attention, worthy of our effort to bring them back into the fold. Why? Because the enemy wants them to be separated. The enemy is often called a lion in the scripture, in a predatory sense. 
who wants to steal and kill and destroy? How is it that a predator like a lion goes after an animal to hunt? Especially if they're in herds, right? They want to separate them out. They want to get the weaker ones or the the sick ones away from the, the herd so that they can devour them. And we know that's how the enemy works. And so when we see a sheep moving away from the church, it should be our desire to go after them and pull them back as responsible brothers and sisters, shepherds of the people of God. God wants all of us to remain faithful. And we have a responsibility to go after them. And here's the thing. If you're only worried about your greatness, you won't be concerned about those who are outside the church. But if you're worried about God's greatness and his glory, then you will allow him to decide who is worthy of our attention. And he says, there's no one insignificant. There's no one insignificant in my kingdom. You pursue them all. Now, here's what I want to do for the remainder of our time. I want to think through how these kingdom values, the greatness of God's kingdom, as Christ has defined it, should speak to First Baptist Church of Irving. How it should have a direct effect on how we operate as the people of God from this day forward until Christ returns. What are the effects of this view of greatness for this church? I want to offer three effects to this statement that the truly great people in the kingdom of God are humble people who lead others to faithfulness and away from unfaithfulness or away from danger. What's the effect of that? What does that look like practically? Let me offer these three. Firstly, effect number one. We will entrust authority to people who are truly great. Truly great according to God's standard. Great in the kingdom sense as qualified by scripture. You know, I think unfortunately, many churches in the history of the church, many churches today, have allowed people to move into positions of power, positions of leadership, positions of influence, because of how they're qualified according to earthly standards, and not how they are qualified according to biblical standards. We evaluate people according to natural evaluation. It's a temptation I've seen in every single church I've been a part of. So we will let people who are influential in society or successful in their own business or who are socially gifted step into roles as deacons or pastors or elders or teachers without true regard for their biblical qualifications. And there's a danger there, friends. The question we must ask every time we entrust someone at any level in the church with leadership is this. Are they pursuing their own greatness or God's greatness? Are they great according to God's standard? Are they approved by God or just approved by man? Because God's approval is a whole lot more important than man's approval. And I grieve about the effects of this over churches that I have served in. There's a church I worked at in Baton Rouge, Louisiana that is no longer a church. It no longer exists it is dissolved. A church I grew up in, my grandfather was a founding member of, split, and it is a shell of its former self. And in both cases, 
I believe the reason for this is because people were entrusted with authority and leadership who had no business being in authority or leadership. They were approved by man and not by God. And when the time came, they went after their own glory and not God's glory. And as a result, the Lord removed their lampstand. These people and situations, they tried to force their way through brute strength and power plays to get their way in the church rather than depending upon the spirit and the word. There was no humility. There was no sensitivity to the spirit. And that's what we must have entirely as the people of God and certainly those who are in leadership. We must be humble. We must be sensitive to the spirit and we must be committed to the word. So let me challenge you guys. As you moving forward, select a new senior pastor. As you moving forward, nominate pastors and elders and deacons. As you moving forward, select people and entrust teaching responsibilities in this church. Look to God's standard. Trust in God's standard. Tonight, we have the awesome privilege of ordaining two godly men who I have no doubt meet the standards according to Scripture of godly men who are worthy of stepping into the role of pastor and elder because God has qualified them. Or they are qualified according to God's standards. And we as a church have recognized that and are going to willingly set them apart for this role. 1 Timothy 3 is our standard. And we rest in the, the mystery of godliness in that test. And let's also be self-aware, friends. Let's also recognize the responsibility when we are given this authority, when we are given these moments to lead. That if we're not in it for the right reasons, we're not going to step into it. Let's, let's have a self-awareness that if we're gifted or asked at some point in this church or any church to step into leadership, that we will commit ourselves to the glory of God first and foremost, that we will serve others as a child with complete dependence upon the Father. That should certainly be an effect of what we're reading here in Matthew chapter 18. Let me offer a second effect. We will take great care as a people to walk in blamelessness. Now we know the effect that we can have on others in the church. We also know the effect that we can have for the testimony of Christ and the gospel on those outside the church. So we must do everything we can to walk in blamelessness. Now, it's a, it's a big word, blamelessness. Does that mean that you don't have faults? No. Does it mean that you don't continue in sin occasionally? No. It just means that with every fiber of your being, you're seeking to please God, that you're seeking to walk after him. And in those moments where you fall flat on your face, which you will, that you're quick to say, I messed up, but thanks be to God that his grace and mercy are new every morning and I can still depend upon that. We want to seek to be like Christ and lead others to be like Christ. And we should take that so seriously that we heed the warning of Jesus here. 
That if there's anything in my life that would lead me to be a stumbling block or open the door to temptation in the lives of the people that I love, that I will do everything in my power in the community and the power of the Spirit to get it out of my life. Because I know it would be better for me to be drowned with the stone around my neck than to cause my brother to stumble. And if there's no cause for concern in that, you may have a salvation issue at play. Because your love for God leads you to love for others. So we're concerned about that because God's concerned about that. And if he doesn't have our primary concern, then something may be wrong spiritually. We need to do some evaluation before the Lord about our standing in Christ. Again, we must be spiritually aware. Where are we in danger of becoming a stumbling block? And are we willing to give that up for the sake of the gospel of Christ, for the sake of the children who are around us? Will we take action to be faithful? Will we listen when our pastors and elders, when our friends, when our, our teachers point out something in our lives that may become a stumbling block and we're willing to get it out. Well, we have a self-awareness and humility to recognize that there are times where we can be blind to sin. And we want godly grief to come into our hearts in those moments so that we can in turn become more like Christ. So let's walk in blamelessness. Let's walk in conscientiousness and love for one another. And the best thing that we can give to each other is our purity and pursuit of Christ. And finally, fact number three, we will go after the wandering and the lost. There's no one, no one who is not worthy of our pursuit Now listen, we're going to go after the lost in an evangelistic sense? Absolutely. There's still a whole lot of people in the city of Irving who do not know Jesus. A whole lot of people around the world who do not know Jesus. But this specific context seems to be talking about more uh, more about the people of God. The, The people in the kingdom of God. And when we see a sheep wandering out of the fold, we need to go after them. Because we want them to remain faithful. We want to set the example of faithfulness. And when we see someone going astray, we want to call them back to faithfulness. Because everyone in the family of God is worthy of our attention. Look around this room. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. If they're members of this church, they are members of a body of Christ. And we need to share the concern that God has them by going after them. And let me just be honest with you guys. Sometimes this is really hard. It's really hard because some sheep don't think they're lost and some sheep may not want to be found and they may bite. Anybody ever been around an injured animal and you try to help them and what's their instinct? Get away from me. You may hurt me more. Here's something that Dr. Stephen Trammell says often. Hurting people hurt people. You know that? Hurting people hurt people. And when you go after somebody who's hurting, chances are you may get hurt in the process, but it is worth it. (laughs) 
do you love your brothers and sisters enough to go after them even when they will hurt you if we're going to have the heart of God we must because what did Jesus do for us he left the glory of heaven to come and save us and what did we do we rejected him We mocked him, we beat him, we crucified him. And somehow, it was God's glorious sovereign plan to use that for our salvation, to call us back to himself. And we're not above our master as servants, right? Do we love each other the way that Christ loves us? And are we willing to go after those who need to be gone after Because we are committed to what God is committed to. That's what greatness looks like in the people of God. That's what greatness looks like in the church of God. Let me challenge you. Be committed to caring for one another. Be committed to loving one another. Be open to shepherding. Listen, hard conversations are never easy. But... If someone wants to meet with you, especially a pastor, meet with them. I've heard it said that these days, churches want lawyers more than pastors. Here's what that means. They want someone who gets up here and just argues what they already believe and attacks the people who are against them. But sometimes shepherding is confrontational. Sometimes shepherding is, hey, listen, I'm not sure that what you believe aligns with Scripture or what you're doing aligns with Scripture. And that goes for me as well in my own heart. The question is, will we welcome that from a loving brother or sister who is calling us back to faithfulness? Meet with people, hear them, and see the Lord in it. You may be wondering, and God may use that moment to call you back to himself. So church, commit to being great according to God's standard. And I know if we do, he will continue to use this church as he has for over a hundred years to bring his glory. Be humble. Be faithful. Be committed to one another and see what God does. This will be the kind of church that will honor Jesus and show the world what the kingdom of God really looks like. So, how do we respond? Firstly, do you know Jesus? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you recognized your inability to please God on your own and come with childlike faith to Jesus and saying, I cannot do this, I need you to do it for me, trusting that he has through the cross? Got good news for you today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Saved from the wrath that is to come because as we saw in our passage today, there is a hell of fire that awaits all of those who are separated from God. Don't be separated from him. Come into the family. Come into the kingdom through Christ. You can do that today.
for the rest of us who are members of this church. And if you're not a member of this church, you should be a member of this church. Come to membership class next week. For those of us who are members, are we committed to greatness according to God's standard? Are we going to be humble enough to recognize what we can't do and trust God to do what only he can do? Are we going to lead in that way toward faithfulness? And are we going to pursue one another because of the love that we have for each other, the way that God has pursued us in Christ? First Irving is a great church. And it will continue to be a great church so long as it continues to abide by what Jesus has says is great. Commit yourselves to that and see the favor of God flourish this people. Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us know how to respond today to your word? Would you help us know how to respond so that we can be faithful? Father, if there's someone in this room who doesn't know you, I pray that you would call them to yourself today. You'd save them miraculously as you have so many here today. Thank you that you've pursued us. Thank you that when we rejected Jesus, he didn't give up on us, but was faithful and serving all the way to the cross. May that continually grip our hearts. And for those of us who are in your people, would you help us to not pursue our own greatness, but your greatness? Help us to be humble, humble servants, leading each other to greater faithfulness and going after each other when we see unfaithfulness. Not so we can boast in ourselves, but all because of the love that we have for you that pours out into love for each other. And we do love you because you first loved us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and let's respond in singing.